0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Well Said, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hills podcast, where we talk with students, faculty and staff about what's going on on campus and around the world. And today we're talking about concussions with Jana Register McCulloch, an assistant professor in exercise and sports science at the Matthew Gefeller Sports Related Traumatic Brain Injury Research Center and the Injury Prevention Research Center. Whether it's high school football or the NFL, concussions have been a major talking point in the sports world for the past several years. And while it's something that a lot of people have been talking about and a lot of people have actually experienced in their lives, let's start with the basic question of what is a concussion?
1: Absolutely. So a concussion is a brain injury and that's the first thing that we want people to understand that you know concussion does cause injury to to the brain. And what actually happens with a concussion is that you'll see a, a transient alteration meaning a short-term potentially alteration or change in the way that people think or act and it is the result of some type of force that was transmitted through the body that eventually was transmitted through the head. So that kind of leads to another important point is that you don't have to be hit directly in the head to have a concussion. So it could be that you were hit to the body. And that caused your head to move or accelerate quickly. And those forces that were transmitted through your brain can cause a concussion. So sometimes you'll hear uh, student-athletes say things like, you know, I didn't hit my head, so how could I have a concussion? But if you think about car crashes, for instance, where we know that brain injuries are prominent in that case where people may never hit their head, but their head moves suddenly back and forth as a result of the forces that are moving your head forward or moving your head backwards. So you can think of a concussion as a brain injury that really causes changes in the way that you think, the way that you act, and produce a variety of symptoms ranging from headache all the way down to nausea, dizziness, not feeling right, or mentally foggy.
0: And while football and hockey get a lot of the criticism for concussions, it sounds like it could really happen in any sport or really doing anything.
1: That's a great point. Uh, Concussion can really happen in any aspect of life. So it can certainly happen in any sport and any activity. And in fact, a good number of our student athletes in any setting that we work in or study actually have concussions that don't happen in sport, right? So, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20 percent of the injuries that we often may see in student athletes happen outside of their rostered sport. So that could happen in a car crash. It could happen in just a normal type of accident per se. Um, So they trip and fall or fall out of their bed. It can happen when a trunk hits somebody where they're trying to put things in their trunk just to give you an example of everyday activities but in terms of sport it can happen in any sport ranging from track to swimming and diving all the way up to the things that we typically think about um, in terms of football ice hockey rugby
0: what's happening to the person's brain after they've sustained a concussion medically speaking what's going on inside that person's body
1: When you think about what happens uh, inside your head or inside your brain when you have a concussion is it really alters the way the brain functions. So some people often say that concussion is a functional injury, meaning that on a standard imaging, like an X-ray or a CT scan or an MRI, concussion doesn't show up. So just because your child or because you have a clear CT scan doesn't mean that you don't have a concussion. We currently don't have a piece of imaging that picks that up. Because most of our clinical imaging is not functional in nature, meaning that it's not really the, the big pieces of your structural brain that are damaged, but it's the way the brain communicates. So there's a change in energy levels in your brain, there's a change in the metabolism or the processes in your brain that really alter the way your brain functions and the way those neurons and, and other cells in your brain are communicating with each other.
0: So what are some of the side effects from that damage to our brains? What can happen to a person after experiencing a concussion or after experiencing multiple concussions?
1: So we can think about, you know, issues with concussion in terms of sort of short, intermediate and long-term potential issues that someone might have. In the short term, you'll see some of those symptoms that we talked about earlier, you know, immediate headache or concentration problems, maybe feeling mentally foggy. As time goes on, some individuals may start to have trouble sleeping or maybe they sleep too much. They may have trouble interacting socially or personality changes or irritability. We often hear that from high school or adolescent student athletes' families that their personalities are slightly different, especially, you know, a weaker to after that injury. So that can be um, some issues that someone might have f- from a concussion. One of the issues short-term that we think about in terms of consequences is that if it's not managed properly or someone returns to play or participation while they're still having those symptoms, um, there's new data that actually suggests that it takes those people longer to recover. So if you don't remove yourself from play or someone doesn't remove you from play when you immediately have a concussion, it may take you longer to recover than if you just disclosed that injury or if someone had pulled you out of that event at the time of that injury. So that's kind of a short-term consequence. In terms of the intermediate consequences, you know, you think about things like trouble in school, we always want people thinking about all the corners of an individual's life when they're managing an injury. But if it's not managed properly, you may not be able to manage those school-related issues properly. And then long term, you know, if if you don't manage it properly, you can see persistent symptoms, you can see other issues that are ultimately going to affect your quality of life. And so it being managed properly initially is a really important component. Um, That doesn't mean you're always going to get better faster, but it does mean that you're going to be in the appropriate context for care to help manage the things that may show up.
0: And over the past several years, people have been taking that management of concussions a lot more seriously. We have better helmets for athletes. We have things like these return-to-play rules. What have been some of the key ways that we've learned to manage concussions?
1: Absolutely. So management you know, and really recognition of concussion is one of the things that we do much better now. So there's a much better level of overall awareness that concussion is a serious event, that it's a brain injury, and people shouldn't play with that injury. But there are also a lot of circumstances that surround removing someone from play, from it being identified to perhaps an individual actually disclosing that they've had the injury. I think the biggest thing that overall we do better is recognizing that injury. And when you have a situation where there aren't medical professionals present, um, it becomes even more important that the people in that environment are trained properly in how to recognize that injury and what the next steps are in terms of removing that person from play and ensuring that they get proper medical evaluation and care prior to returning to play. We often say that it's kind of uh, like when you see someone and you said they were to tell you they had left arm pain and they had chest pain and they had shortness of breath. What would you think that was wrong with someone if they said that? Heart attack. Right. So you immediately recognize what those signs and symptoms are and you're going to call 911 or get them the care that they need. And that's kind of the push that we really have with general awareness awareness about concussion. If someone has had some kind of impact or they're playing a collision or contact sport and they exhibit any signs and symptoms, we really say you got to prove to us that you don't have a concussion.
0: When you're talking about contact sports like football or rugby or ice hockey, where the athletes are taught to play through the pain, how does that macho mentality hinder the way that people can manage their concussions?
1: That's that's a huge issue when you think about the things that are inherent to sport that are actually really good qualities, right? So things like not quitting, being persistent, being a good teammate. And there's a really fine line between those things and taking care of yourself. So when you take care of yourself and you remove yourself from play, that's being a good teammate. But some people still feel like, am I letting my team down? Am I quitting? So there's a lot of things that play into the pressures that a student athlete or a young athlete might feel or even a coach might feel in terms of removing someone from play. So some of our work here is actually really focused on creating creating a better environment and helping different leagues and schools create a better environment um, in which those decisions can be made easier. I certainly think the societal awareness and the societal pressure on people to do the right thing around concussion has has changed people's behaviors. But those things that are inherent to sport, um, I think we have to find a way to use those good qualities to make the good behaviors more prevalent.
0: You talked about creating better environments for people to manage concussions more successfully.
1: So how are you creating these environments? So one of those things is talking about concussion, so not making it a taboo topic, right, and not making it just we did our concussion education at the beginning of the year. So, for instance, the Gefeller-Waller law that is in place here in North Carolina that is really in place for um, secondary and middle schools who are part of the public system states that there has to be education for student athletes, their parents, volunteers and coaches. And the thing about that is it just it says there has to be education. And so a lot of people take that and say, we did it right. The form signed. We did it at the beginning of the year. But there's not a lot of continued conversation, especially from coaches and people who have a lot of influence on these student athletes in terms of their decisions. Um, And I think that conversation, having really key conversations with key influencers within the school or within the league, those continued conversations really help to create that environment. Also, even small things by changes in the environment, like making sure equipment's fitted properly that the fields and the environment is as safe as possible. Those things, even though not directly related to concussion per se, create an environment of safety that make people feel more comfortable about identifying and disclosing those injuries.
0: With all these methods to manage concussions, have we seen a decline in the past several years?
1: I think in general, yes. You know, one of the things that we know sort of has happened is when these laws, le- pieces of legislation across fi- all 52 states were starting to be put in place in 2009, especially for secondary school and youth sports, we started to see actually a rise in the incidence of concussion as this general awareness took place. And that alarmed a good number of people. But we here at UNC and at the Gefeller Center really, really feel that that was really a general awareness issue. And now more of those injuries are being recognized and entering into a system of care, so it was kind of a relative rise in incidence to the level of awareness that was increasing. Um, We've kind of seen that level out over the past couple of years since especially 2014-2015, and so I think as more awareness happens or things change, you might see that bump again, right, as some new law gets passed or some new piece of legislation is put into place. Uh, But certainly I think that's evidence that we are certainly recognizing more of these injuries. And in terms of management, I think, you know, when you look back at some of the data or even if you talk to your parents or, you know, people who are, you know, older than our student athletes today, they can remember the majority of people going back to play the same day, even if they were diagnosed with a concussion. I mean, there are some studies to show that 75 percent of individuals return to play the same day, whereas now that just doesn't happen at any level once a concussion has been recognized.
0: When we talk about concussions, we hear a lot about tracking them. So why is it important to track concussions? Why do we need to pay attention to when we might have had a concussion as opposed to just carrying on?
1: So tracking of concussions from a big picture helps us understand, just like I mentioned before, where we saw this increase in the concussions that were occurring, and we could kind of track that alongside of changes that were happening. So are we making a difference? So that's one of the big things that tracking concussions from a high level really helps us do, is understand what changes are happening and policies are being put in place, and is that affecting how many concussions are occurring and what the risk for concussion is? So that's kind of a big picture. Uh, the other imp- important picture, if you're looking at it from an organizational perspective, so if you're a league Administrator, if you're a high school principal or a school board member, is that you can understand what's happening at your school. Are there certain situations where people are being injured more often? Are there certain times of the year? Um, and you know, we've worked with lots of coaches and schools who've used the information that we've been working with them with to say, okay, well, maybe we need to think about what we're doing a certain day of the week differently or a certain time of the year differently based on that injury data. So it can help to make changes at a high level, but also at your organization or your school level. So those are important reasons. And then from an individual standpoint, sort of. Keep Keeping track of your own personal concussion history really helps you to understand, are my concussions closer together? Is it taking less force to cause the injury? Is it taking me longer to recover? Because those are all red flags that maybe we need to take a step back and think about personally, do we need to wait a little bit longer before you go back and play? How many have you had? And is this getting worse over time? Maybe we need to take the whole season off or do we need to talk about switching sports?
0: You recently received a multi-million dollar grant from the NFL to continue your work researching concussion management. What are you looking at in this project in particular?
1: Absolutely. So with this grant that was that was funded by the NFL, we're trying to understand one, you know, what is the effectiveness and the overall evaluation of the current international graded exertion or gradual return to play protocol? So you mentioned that word earlier, we talked about sort of this return to play idea. Well, it's really accepted that you have a gradual return to play now. And each of those steps in that gradual return to play would be separated by day and it needs to be supervised medically in some capacity so that you're certain when you get to the end of that, that you're ready to go back and play. Um, but there have been very few studies that have evaluated that return to play progression. And so this is really one of the first studies to do it in professional athletes, in college student athletes, and in high school student athletes, because that return to play protocol is very similar across all three of those cohorts. And then the other part of the study is we're looking at in the context of that gradual return to play, if we introduce activity earlier in that process, so before they actually are completely symptom-free, does that enhance their recovery or improve their recovery? Does it improve their perceptions of their care? Does it improve their overall well-being and quality of life through the course of their care? And so those are kind of two big purposes of the work that the NFL is funding. The really cool thing about the project, again, as I mentioned, is it involves professional cohorts, so the New Zealand Rugby Super super Rugby teams, which is the highest level of rugby in New Zealand, really in the world, and then Canadian Football League teams. It also involves um, six area here in North Carolina and Virginia, as well as two Canadian universities and colleges, and it involves six high schools in Wisconsin, who our colleague, Dr. Mike McRae from Medical College of Wisconsin is a co-PI in helping us sort of work through those younger issues.
0: In the next couple of weeks, high school sports will begin practicing for the fall season. So with that in mind, what should parents and coaches know about concussions heading into the season?
1: So I like to think about in terms of what parent and coaches should think about in terms of concussion in two ways. One is that the right things are put in place within the context of the school or the sport league to prevent as many of these injuries as possible, but also to recognize and treat them properly when they do occur. And by that, I mean, if you're a parent asking the school or the league, do you have a concussion protocol? What's the plan if my child were to get concussed? And what are the steps that I should follow at home if that happens? Every league and school should have something like that in place. In addition to that, which is beyond concussion, is there an emergency action plan that's posted in place and that people know about? If there's not, help get one in place immediately. There's people in your community. There's EMS. We're happy to help do that here at UNC if, if you need help doing that from a concussion standpoint or from an emergency action plan. But making sure the right environment and the safety precautions are taking place in those leagues and schools as a parent is a really important thing. And as a coach, same thing, because you have a lot of influence over being able to make sure those things happen. So that's kind of an organizational standpoint. From a personal standpoint in terms of what you can do is recognizing the signs and symptoms of concussion. So knowing that if someone's in a situation where they could have had forces transmitted through their brain and they have a headache, they're nervous, they, they don't feel well after that happens, that they're immediately removed from play and they're evaluated by a medical professional and they're not returned to play that same day. That's really the most important thing because taking someone out of the heat of the moment really creates a better environment to make a good informed decisions about where and when they should go back to sport. And the other part of that is personally for a parent and a coach is creating the personal safety environment. So making sure equipment is fitted properly, make sure that people are playing with good sportsmanship. So we know that concussions are more likely to occur when rules are violated. So our infractions in ice hockey, penalties in football and fouls in basketball are more likely to result in injuries than if you're playing by the rules. Um, So those are really things you know, really hands-on things that you can do day-to-day to help prevent and, and manage those injuries. Thanks for listening to the
0: podcast today,
1: and don't forget to
0: check back to unc.edu in two weeks for another episode of Well Said, or subscribe on iTunes and Android apps.